Good, thank you. Okay, this is our theme verse for the next couple of weeks. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I was thinking as I was sitting there just now, the amazing miracle that happens over and over again as different people are born of the Spirit of God, become born-again believers, and then choose to do what this verse says, to follow me, to become disciples. It's an amazing miracle. I was thinking of uh, Eugene Peterson in his book on discipleship. He calls it a long obedience in the same direction. And I think that's a beautiful description of a disciple. It's not a one-time thing. There's a decision, I'm going to be a disciple of Christ, but then it's filled out or it's lived out over an entire life as we seek to, um, we seek diligently after God and follow him as he gives us direction, as we learn, as we grow. So it's a growth process. Um, let me just pray, please. Our loving God and Heavenly Father, we bow before you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we are humbled to be called your children. We're humbled to be in this place today with your people. And we know, God, that where two or three are gathered together in my name, Jesus said, I am there in the midst. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be uh, not just present, Lord, but we pray that you would reveal your presence to each one of us today. Take our thoughts captive, that we'll be able to push aside all the things and the pressures and the thoughts that are going on from uh, our daily lives, and may we concentrate on your word, and we ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us, Lord. Uh, we're listening, and we desire to obey you teach us open up our hearts lord i pray and father i do ask for the endowment of power from on high i ask for that unction of the holy spirit to be able to speak your word to your people today lord i am i'm humbled before you uh, lord help my stammering lips and my failing uh, speech my poor english all those other things lord and uh, in spite of those things, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us today. I ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, on our bulletin, I was looking for one this morning. I haven't been able to find one. But on the back, we talk about one of the, the vision of this church or the, one of the purposes of this church is to win others for Christ and to uh, be a light in this community. And as I was thinking of that, and particularly what Rod shared this morning of 1-1, one, one, is our church, first of all, I, I think it's really good to assess how we're doing at church. Are we being a light in this community? Are we really reaching out uh, and winning souls for Christ as a church? But a church is made up of individuals, and as the individuals go, so goes the church. And so I asked you as an individual personally, how are you doing at being a light in your community of reaching others for the Lord Jesus Christ? 
I know my own heart and this message today is to me, I get slack, I get unmotivated because I look at the people out there and I think they're not interested, they couldn't care less. They're so taken up with the world and the things of the world and the pleasures and everything else, they're not interested. But that's not an excuse before the Lord. It's not about them, it's about God and his glory, and I'm jumping ahead on my message already, but uh, it's about him. I want to read a couple of things here before I even, I've only got three points in my sermon, so you can be thankful for that because yesterday I had seven and I kept, <laughs> I kept weeding. Lee said, what are you doing? You've been working on it for weeks. And I, I just realized you're going to need two or three hours if I go through everything I prepared. So it's down to three, which is good. I read this in a book. The disgrace of the church in our day is that more zeal is evident in the cults and the isms and the climate change activists. Actually, I added this last part, and the non-gender groups and the Muslim groups and the communism groups than among the people of God. We say that we believe the Bible, but our actions contradict what we say, and the world knows we are hypocrites. Because we say one thing and we do another, we live another, we live just like the world, and that's another message that came up as I was studying this, is that we, you know, in uh, James or John, John, James talks about if we love this world, we're just adulterers. We're spiritual adulterers because we've, we're supposed to be in love with our Lord Jesus Christ, but we're, we're in love with all the things of the world, and I think that kills our motivation, our desire to be witnesses, to be fishers of men. Luke said, I have come, or Jesus said, I have come to set the earth on fire and how I long every heart, for every heart to be already ablaze with this fiery passion for God. I want to be ablaze for God. I want to burn out for the Lord Jesus Christ. The following article written by an atheist spurred C.T. Studd on to all-out dedication for Christ. And this is what this atheist said. If I believed, as millions say they do, that the knowledge and practice of religion in this life influence destiny in another, then religion would mean everything to me. I would cast away earthly enjoyments as dross, earthly cares as follies, and earthly thoughts and feelings as vanity. Religion would be my first waking thought, and my last image before sleep sunk me into unconsciousness. I should labor in its cause alone. I would take the thought for tomorrow of eternity alone. I would esteem one soul gained for heaven worth a life of suffering. Earthly consequences would never stay my hand or seal my lips. Earth, its joys and its griefs, would occupy no moment of my thoughts. I would strive and look upon eternity alone and on the immortal souls around me, soon to be everlasting happy, 
or everlastingly miserable. I would go forth to the world and preach to it in season and out of season, and my text would be, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Jim Elliot wrote in his diary after reading Hebrews 1.7, which says, he makes his servants a flame of fire. He had been studying that, and before the Lord he said, am I ignitable? God deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. Saturate me with the oil of the Spirit that I may be a flame for the glory and praise of God. That is my prayer, and I hope it's your prayer too, that my life will count for eternity, will count for Christ and for eternity. Okay, we're... That's the introduction. <laughs> Motivation to witness for Christ. I looked at lots of things regarding discipleship, the cost of discipleship, of be, being a disciple. You know, Jesus said, you are to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. I looked at the uh, various other aspects of discipleship, but really I felt like, and I'd heard seven, several comments lately which led me, and I believe the Spirit of God, to focus on this whole area of motivation because I think our motivation is, is really low. Mine is, and this has really spoken to me. Now first, whoop, we've got the calendar coming up somewhere. Go to sleep. It's all about him. It's all about God, our lives, and even our witness, and you know, I focus on people around me who are without Christ, without hope, but really the, the central thing, it's all about, sorry, I just take a while to get this sorted out. I want to just go straight into this. It's about God is supreme in everything. First Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very special possession, that you, and this is, that's what we are, and this is why we, what we are, is that we may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our goal, that's our purpose, that's what we're called for, proclaim his praises, I've done a bit of research on that and proclaim, go and tell something otherwise, not otherwise known. Praise equals his excellencies, his virtues, and his imminent qualities. I just love that, his excellencies. Our God is excellent beyond all other. He is to be praised. His virtues are are amazing. Paul wrote in Second uh, Corinthians 2.14, Yes, all things, talking about his suffering and brokenness, work for your enrichment 
so that more of God's marvellous grace will spread to more and more people, resulting in an ever increase, greater increase of praise to God, bringing him even more glory. And when we was in the Philippines, I used to think of that verse often, that as people were saved and people groups turned from paganism, from animism, to worship the true and the living God. It was bringing more and more an increase of praise and worship to God. And then verse 16 says, um, and so no wonder we don't give up because if we can win one soul to Christ, it brings more and more praise to our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I think there's another... Uh, that shouldn't even be there. That was one of those that I... Um, sorry. You know, uh, John, uh, Jesus said, talking to the woman at the Samaria, the well, and she was talking about worship. She was talking about how worship should be. And she, he said, My Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a seeking God. And it's not just to bring people from condemnation into be justified and be on their way to heaven. He is seeking worshippers. And if we are able to lead one soul to Christ, he has another worshipper. And the shame is that there are people all around us who don't worship our Lord Jesus Christ, who don't worship our God in heaven. And that should motivate us to seek to win souls for Christ because God is seeking worshippers and worshippers that worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, I'm not sure why this is. It's, I, I was one of these I was going to leave out. Um, so Paul says, I'll have to do it soon. It's on my PowerPoint. <laughs> so whether we live or die, we make it our passion, life's passion to live our lives to please him. For one day we will all be openly revealed before Christ on his throne so that each of us will be duly compensated for our actions done in this life, whether good or worthless. This is the judgment seat of Christ. It's called the Bema seat. And it's not a judgment of our sins, but of our works as Christians to receive our rewards. I used to think of uh, watching the Olympics. And particularly, it's not so much like athletics in a race, although uh, Paul does use that type of uh, illustration. But it's, this is talking about something like, the, you know, the high divers, and they're all standing there by themselves and they do their dive and then they're judged according to how they've done their dive. And some are even disqualified because of this or that or the other thing. They don't receive a reward at all. Uh, because we understand, and then Paul also said, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, or that can be... Um, uh, interpreted our reverent uh, 
awesome understanding of God, we work hard to persuade others. That is a um, that is a motivation because one day we will all stand before the Lord and give an account for our lives. And I want him to say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Good represents our character, the way we, who we are, our fruit, the fruit of our spirit, um, the fruit of our lives, and faithful has to do with our service. I want to be good and faithful, and I can't do that in my own strength. It's only in the power of, of um, God's spirit that I can either be good or faithful. The next motivation is God's love. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. This is one of the, this is summing up the Ten Commandments. And you know, I know, that I don't love God with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my mind and I don't love my neighbor as myself and that's evident in the fact that I can see them going to hell and I don't say anything about it. I, I ignore them to a large extent, or I can. Biblical principle one, God does, and I, we're not talking about principles here, it's, it's principle that I see through the word of God, a principle that comes out over and over and it's unchanging even though the, the application may be different in different circumstances. God does not demand anything of us as believers for which he has not already provided the ability to obey through Jesus our provision and the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans, and now it's talking about how, what God's provided. Uh, Romans 5.5, 5, and this hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts and still floods them through the agency of the Holy Spirit who is given for us. Just going, for um, well, it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us because we are absolutely convinced that he has given his life for us. Does God's love motivate you? Does it, have you ever passion for God and God's passion and I'm getting ahead of myself, principle two, Jesus, the humble, compassionate service servant, lives in me by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Jesus longs to love through me, and Jesus longs to love through you. We are the body we sing. We are the hands, we are the feet, we are the lips of Jesus, and he wants to love and, and live through us we are the body of Christ present on the earth to love and to plead and to entreat and to lead people to himself I cannot love my neighbor as myself I can't even love God as I ought but I do know that by the power of the Holy Spirit because I've been born again Jesus lives in me he is my life 
at the cross, uh, Romans 6, I'm not sure if it's in my notes or not, but uh, Romans 6, I love Romans 6 because it talks about we are crucified. Well, that's uh, uh, Galatians 2.20. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but yet not me. But Christ lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave me himself for me. Romans 6 gives you the doctrinal basis of that fact. It gives you the facts that God said is true, even though I don't feel it. God said it's true, and I believe it. And as you appropriate the fact that I am crucified, that the old man has been put to death, and buried my old, the old Roskin, and you certainly wouldn't want to know him. He's been crucified and buried, but when Christ rose from the dead, I rose from the dead with him to a new life, a new life in Christ Jesus, and that includes the love that God has placed into my heart. Jesus wants to love other people through me. Now, what's the, what's the blockage? What's the holdup? Why don't I love other people like I should? It's because I'm not willing to mortify the flesh. It, walking in the spirit, I'm not willing to die to the flesh, die to the old Roskin and live unto the spirit. That's what it means to walk in the spirit. You don't listen to your feelings, but you, by faith, put into effect what God said is true, and as you begin to live that way, the feelings come. Hebrews 11.6 says, It is impossible to please God without faith. No matter how you try, the effort, the striving, everything else you put into it, you cannot please God in your own strength. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without actions also is dead. You can believe you're dead till the cows come home, but if you don't begin to live it out, there's no evidence that you're dead. The evidence comes through actually believing by faith and living it out. Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. We appropriate by faith that which we know is true of us according to God's word. By faith I step out to demonstrate love to my neighbor in practical ways, even though I don't feel loving. As I step out in faith, the Holy Spirit confirms the truth upon which I have acted and the feelings follow. There's a beautiful principle again and it's the facts that are recorded in the word of God as I read that the most honorable thing that I think I can do for God is believe him if God says it I believe it so there's the facts and I believe it by faith simply faith I mightn't feel it but I believe it and as I believe it and begin as James said to Faith without word actions is dead. As I begin to live according to what God said is true, 
the feelings will come. And I would challenge you this week, someone that you struggle with, maybe it's a workmate, to begin praying for that person, but ask God, ask the Lord Jesus to love that person through you. Ask God, Lord, express your love for them through me. If that's not motivation, nothing will be. God will, uh, you will be amazed what God will do if you begin praying for your neighbour and the man down the street and your workmates and someone you have trouble with or whatever. Ask Jesus to live his life through you and love them through you. And this is the last point. We're up to the last point already. And it's, it's about compassion. It's about burden for the lost. As I think about this, and I, I, it's not in my notes, but um, often uh, on leadership in the Philippines, I'd have missionaries in discussion. We'd be discussing difficulties that they're having and struggles and everything else. And uh, these people, you, you must understand, they've done many years preparation to be missionaries. They've done at least, probably most of them would have been two years Bible college and then two years missionary training, language school. And then they're in a tribe, they've, they've um, learnt the, the trade language and they're moved into a tribe and they're working with people that very often don't show any gratitude or thankfulness uh, at all. In some of the tribes we worked in, there was no word for thankful. It's just not even in their vocabulary to, to be thankful. And I guess maybe before the missionary come, there, wasn't, there was very little to be thankful about. Um, but, you know, I'd often have people say to me, Ross, I, I, well, one guy, I th I'll share his testimony to me at this time, he said, Ross, I'm really wondering whether I should resign and go home. I've just lost my love for the people. In fact, I, I really don't like them at all. They're really just giving me such a hard time. I've lost my love. And uh, we would talk through about what we've just talked about, about the love of God, but it, um, I, I would say, well, what about, what about their eternal future? You're there to see them saved, taken from the condemnation into justification and so forth. We'd talk about all those things. And the challenge would come, study the word of God regarding their eternal future if you leave. And often, you know, it takes years to get the missionary to the place where they understand the language and the culture to the place where they can teach. And when they choose under terrible situations often, often to leave, what happens to the people? And as they studied the word of God and concentrated on the eternal destiny of those people, you would see it a miraculous change in their attitude. Absolutely miraculous at times. Just the change that occurred. We can only feel 
that which we are thinking about. I thought about this last week. We uh, concentrated on the persecuted church. And as we read through all the, the letters and so forth, uh, I know about you, but my heart ached for those believers. And I, I really felt for them in their terrible suffering and persecution. But, you know, during the week I've had my mind on other things and I haven't felt anything for the persecuted church. It hasn't been a part of my thinking. And we only feel for that which we are thinking about. Um, you know, I, I love my wife, but if I'm concentrating on something else, those feelings of love are not, not welling up in me. But as I think about her and I'm with her, then love wells up. And it's the same um, with what we're looking at now. When Jesus saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were, were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. At least six times in the New Testament we read that Jesus had compassion on the people and always prior to that it says he looked on the crowds. He was looking at them. He was there in present with them and looking at them and he felt compassion. And it's the same things with us. It's what we think about is what we feel. I think this is amazing. It's of the Apostle Paul in, in uh, Romans 9, 1 to 3. He said, with Christ as my witness. He's really trying to emphasize that he's being truthful here. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. That's burden. That's a spiritual burden for people outside of Christ. He just longs, he aches for his people that they might turn from their sin, turn from their empty works and religion to the only living way, the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. He longs for that. And I believe that we can have that same burden as what Paul had. I'll share a... a story with you. I wasn't going to share it, but I just feel that I will. Um, many, many years ago, everything's many years ago for me, uh, but it was when, in my early 30s and I was at a time of, I, I think I felt a bit like Paul did actually. I had a constant burden on my heart for the lost around me. Uh, I was involved in evangelism in door knocking and street preaching and so forth and often getting knocked well very often getting knockbacks and all the rest of it I was really burdened for them but at the very same time as I was feeling so down and and uh, heavy for people around me there was a fullness of joy at the very same time and you cannot explain that unless you've experienced it that joy and heaviness 
all at the same time. And it's, I believe that's how God feels. He's joyful for us, but he's so burdened for the lost around us. Anyway, I had a, I, I hate to even use this word, but I had a vision. I didn't even believe in visions. And I had a vision, and I want to explain that vision to you because it, it's, it's or a dream if you like. But I, what I seen, and it was different to a dream, but what I seen was all of a sudden I seen this beautiful peninsula coming out uh, into the ocean and it had a really rugged shore and the sea was extremely wild and rough. But as I looked on the top of this peninsula it was beautifully mowed and you know, beautiful gardens and all these picnic tables. And sitting at these picnic tables was all these people all dressed in their Sunday best. And in those days, you know, they went to church with hats so big that you couldn't see around them. They had all these hats and they were having a beautiful picnics out on this, in this park. And I looked and I was amazed. All these people are having a wonderful time. But then my attention was drawn to the sea. And as I looked at the sea, I was horrified to see that there was people, just the sea was filled with people struggling to keep afloat. Their arms were up just, just struggling to keep afloat. And then I heard this voice said, Ross, I was, I was about to like strip off and get in and try and rescue these people and I heard this voice say, Ross, I want you to get them to help you. Now I don't know if that was from the Lord or not and this is the first time I've ever shared that but it, I really just put it in the, on the back burner because I really didn't understand what it was about because I knew that I needed to be a witness and I needed to be out there trying to rescue people rescue the perishing, care for the dying. But as I look back now, over the years, and I thought of it actually years later when I was in the Philippines and really having a hard time in leadership and some really difficult stuff going on, and the Lord reminded me, your job is to help them to get out and win others for Christ. And so discipleship is is about winning the loss, but it's also about encouraging one another. Are we going to just sit at the picnic table, which is great, we do need Christian fellowship and encouragement and all the rest, but we do need to also be getting out and pulling some of those out of the waves, out of the, before they go under for the very last time. Second, and we're, as I said, we're on the end here. Since being born again of the Spirit of God, we are to see people, see everyone primarily as eternal spiritual beings. And this struck me this week. I've done a lot of study in Second Corinthians 5 this week. And uh, it says, so then, now from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by outward appearance. For that's how we once viewed the anointed one. 
but no longer do we see him with limited human insight. We do not evaluate people simply by their outward appearance, simply, and we do it all the time because we're in the body, because we're in the flesh, we see, we hear. The, the outward appearance is right in front of us, but we need to train our minds to think on things above. We need to think from God's perspective. Do I see my neighbor as an eternal being that will be forever in hell or forever in heaven? Do I see the person I work with? And of course we've got to interact on a physical level, but we need to have the understanding this person is an eternal soul. As I look at my brothers and sisters here, do I see a person who I either get along with or I don't get along with, or do I see Jesus in them? Do I see the Lord Jesus? Jesus said, if you've done this to the least of my Brethren, you've done it unto me. You have cared for me because you cared for Andrew or Kath or anyone else here. You have done it to me. And it's the same when we look at the unsaved. Do we see them as eternal beings? We see beyond their, their uh, you know, what they are in the physical Principle three, we must immerse our minds in the whole Bible in order to have God's thinking. And this is the other thing that struck me this week. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you and be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This is the... Um, Passion Translation. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. What that's saying, and I've always thought of that, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As I read the Bible, my mind is transformed and I become more like our Lord Jesus Christ. But there's the other side of that. There's so much in the Bible and so much that Jesus said about the coming wrath of God, the coming judgment of God, the coming destiny of the unsaved that we don't like to think about because it's awful, it's horrible, and we feel bad when we do. And we don't talk about it. When's the last time you heard a message on hell and condemnation and future judgment? We don't talk about it because we don't like it. We don't feel good about it. And so we don't talk about it. Unsaved people are already condemned. Whoever believes, Jesus said, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe has already been condemned because he has not believed in the name of God's unique son. Hebrews says, every human being is appointed to die once. But after this comes judgment. After death, I'm going to die, you're going to die. And after this comes judgment. Thankfully, the judgment for my sin has already been judged in Christ on the cross at Calvary, if you're trusting in him. But if you're not trusting in him, 
Your judgment of your sin is still future. After you die, you will face judgment. That's as certain as we're here today. Judgment is coming. Hell is for all eternity. Then the devil in Revelations 20.10, then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And as John looked, he seen a great white throne. This is at the end of the age. And anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That is the most horrendous thought that you could ever think. It's not imagination, it's what the word of God says. Matthew, uh, Jesus, I'm not sure if it's in my notes or not, on this or not, but Jesus spoke more about hell and judgment and God's wrath than any other person in the Bible. Uh, Jesus mentioned hell or judgment 70 times, if you want to count them, depending on how you, um, the words that are used. 162 references in the New Testament alone which warns of hell. Oh, we read our New Testament and there's large portions of it we just read over because it's not nice to think about. Jesus said then, shall he say to them, on my left hand depart from me you are cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels and these shall go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into life eternal. I love through the Bible how it gives comparisons. There's light and darkness. There's good, there's evil. There's eternal joy and eternal punishment. There's um, good, you could go on and on and on. Um, this is a comparison. There is those who will go to everlasting punishment, but on the other hand, they have the opportunity of life eternal. Now there's what I just said. If you desire to feel deeply about the unsaved, immerse yourself for a time in the facts of the word of God about the judgment of the unsaved and think personally about what you read. Pray about it. And as you read the Holy Scriptures, you will feel deeply and be motivated to pray and to share your faith. You mightn't feel about it, but as you ask Jesus to love people through you, you can reach out. And I'm not suggesting you go out there and the first people, you, person you meet, you preach hell and doom to them. I remember on the, when we used to street preach, we had this attitude and I think it was almost like, well, they're going to reject the message, so I'll give them plenty to reject. And it would be like, turn or burn, repent or perish, and things like that. That doesn't win anyone. It's the truth, and there's an appropriate time and place for that. 
But when you're first meeting a person, you don't load them with what they're not ready for. It's a progression. Okay, so um, that's the end of my and a very short message as I told you. I do want to just appeal to you this morning. Anyone who is, you know, Lee and I have visited lots and lots of churches. Uh, and often as a missionary, when you went to a church, people would come and speak with you because they felt you was an anonymous person, you'll be gone soon and and they would share their hearts and over and over again almost every church I think we met people who had been in church for years and years and still did not have faith in Jesus Christ they struggled as to whether they were saved or lost we had one elder's wife had been an elder they'd be her husband had been an elder for years and she'd been in the church, an upstanding person in the church, and she'd come to me and she said, Ross, I don't know whether I'm saved or not. I don't know. We had a missionary come to the field and uh, she was from brethren background and she had been through all the training, everything that the training had to offer and she'd come to the field with her husband. Her husband was extremely knowledgeable. But that night, Lee and I was watching the guest home. And we heard this crying in the middle of the night. We went out and here she was on the steps, inside steps. So what, whatever's wrong, what is, what's... And she said, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know why we come. She said, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. No one had guessed. No one had seen her in a struggle. Um, but here she was. She was struggling. She was doing. She was acting out everything that she was expected of her. But she didn't know for sure that she was going to be in heaven when she died. She didn't know that that time when she was appointed to die, where she'd be judged for her sins or whether she would go to heaven. There is a time and today is the day to be sure that you are born again. You, to be certain, to have that full assurance of faith that when I die, I'm going to be with my glorious master in heaven. Today's the day. If you don't know Christ as your savior, don't face the awful judgment for your own sin because Jesus Christ is already paid the price at Calvary. He died for you. He died for me. And salvation is based simply upon the fact of turning from our old way of thinking and trusting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. Today is the day if you want to be saved, please talk to someone. Please indicate. And you know, uh, when Lee and I went back to church after we'd turned out, I'd turned my back on everything, I had to humble myself. I had to admit I have a need. Jesus, God in, I think it's James says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself therefore, 
before the mighty hand of God and in due season he will lift you up. It's a matter of humbling yourself, admitting I have a need, I'm not where I should be, and come to the Lord. And I hope also that you will be motivated, believers, to get out and witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And next week we'll look at the text that I haven't really looked at. But being fishers of men and look at some practical um, mission, basically mission principles that we use in missions because this is a mission field. It's not like it used to be. This is a pagan society and we need to have some practical steps that we can take or principles we can em embrace to reach our neighbour. Let's pray. Our loving God and Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you love us and that's the reason we love you. You loved us, Lord, and we, uh, you have shed abroad in our hearts the love of God through the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would empower us by the Holy Spirit, that we would live out Acts 1.8, that we will receive power as the Holy Ghost comes upon us and we will be witnesses unto our Jerusalem, unto our Hobart. Help us, Lord, we pray. I commit this congregation to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.